Whenever we're talking about when God draws near, we're going to review that which we've already read today in terms of the coming, the initial advent of Christ, but then also celebrate his ultimate glorious coming. Amen? Okay, so let's go. Father, thank you so much for your word to us today. God, we thank you that you have drawn near to us, not only to be born and um, provide a way for us to be set free from the penalty of sin and death, but through your resurrection to prepare for your glorious return and the restoration that you'll bring in all things. God, may we have hearts that are truly set on this today and always in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so today, if you're taking notes, the uh, message is when God draws near, it will be just like he said. It will be just like he said. But I think often in the uh, church world today, we don't know what he said, and therefore we're not prepared for what he said, right? It's sort of like in that whole Ren and Stimpy, happy, happy, joy, joy um, presentation of things. We're not fully educated about that which Jesus has said that we need to be prepared for. But in the church world, we have a responsibility to share it, right? We have a responsibility to teach it. We have a responsibility to prepare people by the word of God for that which God said he's going to do. And what what we're focusing on today is that in his ultimate return, it will be just like he said. So if you're taking notes, we're going to um, break it up into three parts. Number one, just like he said. Number two, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then number three, marked by Jesus. I'll repeat that. Just like he said, peace among those with whom he is pleased. And number three, marked by Jesus. Let's read the scripture again. Luke chapter two, verses one through 21. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you, for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased." When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told them. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, 
the name given him by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Okay, so what we see here is we're going to look at basically Jesus, we're going to look at Mary, and we're going to look at the shepherds. What we see is that, first of all, whenever we are approaching God who's drawing near, we've got to understand that when God draws near, it will be just like he said it would be. It will be just like he said it would be. You will be able to recognize God in his coming because God has a precedent for how he does things. It does not mean that he will do things the same every time, but God's character remains the same. Jesus Christ is the same, the scripture says, yesterday, today, and forever. And so when God draws near, you are going to be able to recognize him, number one, because of what he's already shown about himself, what he's already had recorded in the scripture to tell you who he is, in his goodness, in his holiness, in his expectations of us to turn in repentance and faith to the gospel, meaning the good news that he's preached among us. But what we also see is that even in the first coming of Christ, God prepared the people to recognize his coming by hundreds of years of prophecies that came prior to his arrival. The advent means the coming of the Lord, and at least in this particular chapter, we see at least three things that the Lord had spoken about prior to Jesus' coming. God drawing near was just like he said it would be, and in the first advent, the Messiah would be, number one, born of a virgin, right? We know um, Isaiah 7, 14, and even going on to um, Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, it talks about this miraculous event, the immaculate conception that would identify the Messiah, the Savior of the world, who would come. It was also fundamental that he would come from the tribe of Judah, that he wouldn't be from any family, he wouldn't be just from any people group, he wouldn't be just from any group of um, worshipers or religious um, adherents, but he would be specifically from the Jewish tribe of Judah, as J um, Jacob prophesied about in Genesis 49, 9 through 12, talking about God coming near and God would put a scepter in the hand of the Messiah who would be ruler of all peoples, but he would specifically come from the tribe of Judah. When the census was taken at the time of Quirinius, it said that Joseph took Mary and he registered in the town of Bethlehem. Why? Particularly because he was of that lineage. He was of that tribe and therefore he was able to identify that where the, um, that where the Messiah was coming from. And then finally, number three, we see that he was to be born in the town of Bethlehem, just like he said. He would be born in the town of Bethlehem, just like he said, and we see that in Micah chapter 5, verse 2. If you've been any part of, um, a part of any candlelight services or any Christmas services, you've often heard this quoted to you. It said that, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, meaning was spoken about years before he came, from ancient of days, meaning that he was the ancient one. He was the eternal one. He would be God in the flesh, God incarnate, who drew near to walk amongst us. He would be the Emmanuel, right? And so all of these things we see was a preparation for God drawing near to us, but it was just like he said. 
It wasn't an arbitrary thing. It wasn't a random thing. It wasn't something that people just, well, Jesus just won a popularity contest whenever he was ministering during his day. But he was actually the fulfillment of all that God had predicted, all that God had prepared the people for during his time and prior to his time through the Spirit of God and the prophets speaking. But what do we do with that? What do we do with that? And what did the shepherds do with it? Well, it will be not only in the first coming of Christ, but in the second coming of Christ, it will be the same for us as it will for the shepherds. God not only spoke about his first coming, but he also clearly spoke about what it would look like in his second coming. And as we follow the instructions of the Lord, we will find Jesus in his second advent, just as the messengers of scripture have spoken about him the resurrected king who makes his return to save those who are waiting for him in the world. See, when he first came, he came to die. When he comes in his second coming, he's coming to save those whose hearts are turned toward him and are waiting for him, right? He's not coming to die again. Everybody realize that. He's already done that once for all. He's already been resurrected from the dead once for all. And when he makes his return, he says, I've spoken to you a message of preparation. Now prepare, and I'm going to come and save those who've been waiting for me. Jesus himself spoke about this return whenever he was ministering to and speaking to his disciples in Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24. If you have a Bible, you can open it today. If you have a phone, you can download uh, version. It'd be good to have that free Bible app on your phone anyway, right? So while you're riding the train, look it up. You didn't have time to read your Bible before you left in the morning. Good news. It's on your phone. <laughs> Okay, And so if you would look, open with me to Matthew chapter 24, this is how Jesus himself talked about his return. It said, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming? Your coming, otherwise known as the advent, right? The second advent. They understood Jesus, you're already here, you're here to accomplish a specific purpose, but there's going to be a second coming, right? So God, we want to understand it whenever you're talking about it. And he said, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, see that no one leads you astray. <clears throat> For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. Is this not the type of times we live in? Wars and rumors of wars, right? And people get unsettled because of these things. But Jesus is saying, this will happen, but don't get unsettled because this is going to happen, but the end's not yet. He goes on, for nation will rise against nation. If you watch the news, this is happening. And it's happened since Jesus appearing on the earth. He said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. If you've ever been mobilized as part of your company to do relief efforts, part of the Red Cross or things like that when tsunamis or earthquakes hit, right? Different regions of the world. It's because Jesus already talked about it. He predicted it. He said, these things will happen. I'm telling you, this is all preparation for my return. He said, they will take place, but the end's not yet. 
All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. You'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Anybody ever notice the trend, the sentiment in the public sphere towards turning towards the, against those who have a faith in Christ? Anybody noticed that trend before? He's what, this is what he's talking about. He says, they will deliver you up for my name's sake. And then many, unfortunately, and then many will fall away because of this and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, meaning that things don't look like they're getting better, but instead worse. Anybody ever felt that way before? It's sort of like you looked at the world around you, and no matter how many efforts that were being made to create an earthly utopia, it looked like things were not getting better, but worse. Jesus said, listen, this is what I'm telling you is going to happen. He says, the love of many because of this will grow cold. And in this warning, he's saying, please don't let that happen to you. That's what he's saying there, right? He's saying the love of many will grow cold. Don't let that happen to you. Because of what's going on in the world, don't let your love for me or for others grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Good news, right? That God's good news and his glory will go to the ends of the earth. It doesn't matter where, what people grew up with, what religion they were a part of, what socioeconomic background they had, what type of demographic they came from. Jesus said, this gospel, my intention to save, will go to the ends of the earth. Why do we do missions? To join Jesus in what he's doing in the midst of all of this. He said, and then the end will come. Let's skip down to verse 21. For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, that's the believer, right? Anybody wanted the elect in here? Anybody thankful that they belong to Jesus in here? Okay, that's for us, okay? For the sake of the elect, he says, those days will be cut short. Then if anyone says to you, look, here's the Christ, or there he is, don't believe it. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. What does he mean? I'm telling you ahead of time because it will be just like I said. I'm telling you ahead of time because don't be surprised when this happens. It will be just like I said. Okay? So he says, <clears throat> if they say to you, look, he's in the wilderness, do not go out. That's good news because I don't want to go anyway. Okay? If they say to you, look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. It's not going to be some secret society. Everybody understand that? Jesus isn't trying to form a cult. <laughs> Practically, right? Jesus is not trying to have anybody drink the Kool-Aid, okay? He said, don't believe it. 
For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the, hev- um, <clears throat> the, powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, and then all tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. When I first read that, it was prior to um, the cell phone age and I was like, how is everybody going to see him? at the same time. Okay? Anybody ever wondered that before back in the day? But everybody have a better idea now? Okay? It's sort of like if any event starts to happen that's out of the ordinary, what immediately happens? Boom. Cell phones, right? And everybody's recording it. So wherever he's going to appear, you better believe somebody's going to pop out some cell phone and the whole world is going to see it. Does that make sense? Oh, I understand now. I didn't before, but I'm like, oh, this makes sense now. and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heaven to the other. And he says, and then the end will come. This is what his second coming looks like. We're always familiar with his first coming and we're always celebrating it, right, at Christmas time. Some of us only at Christmas time. Some of us only, I'm sorry, let me give us credit, Christmas and Easter, right? But it's like he says, I want you to live in such a way as you're prepared for my coming. Why? Because it will be just like I said it would be. And if you're with me, it will be a glorious thing. And the great joy for all people will be for you. That though there would be tribulation in the world, there's good news of great joy in my second coming that will be for you as well. Billy Graham said it this way, Bible teaching about the second coming of Christ was thought of as doomsday preaching, but not anymore. It is the only ray of hope that shines as an ever brightening beam in a darkening world, right? Back in the day before I was a Christian, I would always think it was just apocalyptic preaching, right? Or seeing something on like, you know, the, what, what, what was it? The uh, National Enquirer. It's like, oh no, you know, it's like I got a party like in 1999 because it's about to go down. You know, it's, and then all of a sudden, right? It wasn't good news um, to me, but bad news. But when I came to Jesus, it actually became good news because I saw all that was going on around me that wasn't getting better. But Jesus said, in my return, it will. In my return, there's going to be a restoration of all things for those who've been waiting for me. And that's why we get to his peace being among those with whom he is pleased. If it is our hope that his redemption is coming, not for the entire world, but for those who've made their peace with him. You understand that? That's what was being proclaimed there. People talk about the Christmas season all the time, like peace to all mankind, That's available to all mankind, but do you understand what he said in the scripture? He said, peace to those among whom whom he's pleased, with whom he's pleased. That's a qualifier. That's a qualifier, right? If somebody tries to come into my house off the streets of Chicago, if I know them, or at least I know they're coming, I'll welcome them. 
But if I don't know them, then I'm calling the cops, right? That means they're trying to break in illegally. Because what? My peace, <laughs> my peace is not with them. My peace is not with them, right? Same way with God. He's like, listen, I invite you in, but it's my peace that needs to be upon you if you want to enter into the joy that I actually have for you. How do we actually enter into that joy? It's what we talk about all the time. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. What should the Advent season be about? It should be about repentance and faith. Repenting from our sin, our greed, our sexual immorality, our slander, our backbiting, right? Selfish living in general. He said part of the good news of the season is that he's turning us once again from these things and turning us to the cross, where Jesus was literally born to die and he paid for all of those things in his sacrifice. He said the Christmas season is about this, your life. If your hope is in him, we make it our ambition to please him in every way. We want God's peace to be upon us because we are those with whom he is pleased. Faith is how we please him, demonstrated in obedience to his commands in all areas of life. You're going to please him when you obey his commands. Can I make that clear? You're not going to please him by just showing up at church. You need to show up at church. Why? So you can get encouraged. So you can worship God. So you can be on mission with the people of God. Amen? Okay, meaning after Christmas. Amen? Okay. But in everyday life, with my relationships, with the use of my time, with the use of my finances, with my pursuits, with the way that I interact with the world around me, if I want to please him, I need to obey his commands, which are found in the Bible. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. But it's the one who has my commands and obeys them. That's the one who loves me. Not just the one who grew up in a Christian context. Not just the one who grew up culturally Catholic. Not just the one who had parents who are somehow religious. It's the one who says, I'm making my ambition to please him on a daily basis. That's the one on whom his peace rests. And if we're living that way, then ultimately we'll be marked by Jesus. Marked by Jesus. You see, it wasn't just the shepherds who received the good news. It was also Mama Mary, right? Anybody appreciate Mama Mary? Okay, Mama Mary. I love our mothers in here. Mamas, bless you. Okay? Mama Mary, right? The Virgin Mary. To live this way, she gave us the key. To live this way, you must make what is said about Jesus and his ultimate return the treasure and meditation of your heart, just as it was for Mary. She treasured the things that were said about Jesus in her heart, and she meditated on it continually. As she was raising him, as she was thinking about all the things that other little kids would do, it's like she was probably wondering herself, why doesn't my boy ever sin? <laughs> Every other kid gets in the mess and trouble, 
I actually have a perfect child. <laughs> right? Everybody thinks that, but then, then you realize through time and experience it's different. Jesus had that reality, right? Mary treasured the things in her heart that were said about Jesus. She meditated on it and therefore ordered her life in such a way as to please him. And I think this really gets to the heart, especially at the Christmas season, in the Christmas season, as to why we do or do not have a true heart of worship. And you understand what I mean by a true heart of worship. What I'm saying is not the difference between just going through the motions religiously because you feel obligated to and have to, or actually having a heart where you're excited about coming to a season where you get to honor God for all that he is and all that he's done. You're like, I was glad when they said to me, let us go up to the house of the Lord to stand in his gates again and give him the honor that's due his name. Why? Because I'm excited about it. Yes, more than a football game, right? Yes, more than, you know what I mean? A, uh, like a, a company party where I know I'm getting my end of the year bonus, right? Well, which I don't get, but that's fine. You know, <laughs> that's fine. But it's like, listen, it's more than these things, right? Because I'm running to him in worship, understanding who he is. I saw a little uh, thing of uh, what we should meditate on about Jesus. And it was in the shape of a Christmas tree. I'll, I'll just show it to you because it'll be on the website. It's like a Christmas tree, but it's made out of what, like who Jesus is. It's cute, you know, but it talked about him and the meditation of his heart. He's that he's a rock. When he describes himself, he's our rock. He's our savior. He's the Messiah who literally came in fulfillment of the prophecies. He's Emmanuel, meaning God with us. He's the holy child, which we recognize during the Christmas season. He's mighty God. He's Lord of all. He's the Lamb of God, and he's the Christ of God. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Word of God, and He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end of all of our days, meaning He's sovereign. He's the Prince of Peace, and He's the Light of the World. He's the Head of the Church, and He's the Son of the Highest. He's called Everlasting Father, and He is the resurrection and the life, so that ultimately, if we fall asleep in Him, we have good news to look forward to. We will live with Him, just as He was raised. Now, when you begin to meditate on that and treasure it in your heart, just as Mary did, it changes your attitude towards worship. It's not something that you're drugged to. It's not something that you have to do, but it's something that you're running to. It's something that you're running to. Why? Because the meditation of your heart begins to shape you. The meditation of your heart begins to define you. And that meditation starts to come out of you. So all of a sudden, it's upon your lips. And it's like, whoops, did I say that? Yes, I did, that God's good. Whoops, did I say that? That God is in fact the only one to save through the name of Jesus, his son. Whoops, yes, I did say that. And I know it to be true because it's going to be just like he said it would be. Can you imagine, though, if the shepherds got this news, just like we do in church, and didn't make haste to go and see the Lord, but instead just sat around talking about it? 
they stayed where they were discussing Jesus' birth. They were like, oh, that was interesting. You ever seen an angel before? No. <laughs> yeah, me either. So, well, that was cool. Sort of like that old Disney flick, right? Remember the vultures? What do you want to do today? I don't know. What do you want to do today? Right? That's what, that wasn't what the shepherds were like. But instead, they responded in true worship. They responded and made haste to make an effort to leave their daily affairs and go to the place where they could meet with Christ. When God draws near, he interrupts your daily affairs. Everybody realize that? You see that as a pattern throughout Scripture? How about Moses? What was Moses doing? He was shepherding the flock. What was that? That was his job. And then all of a sudden, at the job, there's this burning bush. Can you imagine that? Being downtown in the loop, just on a water break, and then all of a sudden, poof. And you're pretending you don't see it. But then they're like, take off your shoes, it's holy ground. It's like dog on it. Right? God comes to interrupt our life, and then he commands us in haste, in haste, to go and see that which he's talking about. See, that's a posture of heart. Part of the Advent season is you changing the posture of your heart and no longer just being one who talks about things but making haste to be wherever Jesus finds himself. The shepherds became marked by the life of Jesus. And because they, like Mary, were meditating on the goodness and the glory of God, they began to speak about him too. Anybody in a relationship here? Okay. Uh, well, I know a lot of you are. <laughs> okay. But there's no getting around this reality that just as in any other relationship, the more you share the good news as the shepherds did, the more real in your life Christ becomes because you invite his life to define yours. See, it's one thing when you just showed a little interest in somebody because you thought they were cute, right? It's another thing when you change your actual social media status. Right? And then you had to talk about the one that you proclaimed to love. Anybody remember that transition moment? You're sort of just like messing around before and then all of a sudden somebody actually questioned you about who you're spending all your time with and then you had to make a choice. Are they just my friend or are they going to be something more? And what you said about them defined you after that point. Did it not? Because if you said they were more than a friend, that meant you were cutting off ideally. You were cutting off all other lovers. Hello? That meant that if you used to be a player, play, no more. Why? Because people would look at you differently. People would look at you differently, right? People who might used to be bold enough to step to you, now they were like, I don't know. They're committed somewhere else. And the way you talk about Jesus is what marks you and defines you. And ultimately, in this Advent season, what he's calling us to is to, like the shepherds, not just have a meditation of your heart, 
but like the scripture commands, let his word be on your lips. Let the good news of the gospel be on your lips. This Jesus who you know and love, be on your lips proclaiming all that he said and done. And it will be just like he said it would be. You need to talk about it and it will mark your life. Has anybody ever looked at their uh, feed before? Social media feed and had that uh, one year later thing pop up. And we're like, why was I talking about that? (laughs) Why did I post that? Jesus and his salvation are worthy of actually having on your lips to mark your life. In many traditions, the fourth Sunday of Advent celebrates love. In no greater way was this expressed than in the fact that Jesus in his first Advent was literally born to die for the sins of of the world. Yours and mine. Yours and mine. If I'm talking about his first coming, what am I talking about? I think A.W. Tozer um, said it this way. It's not just his first coming, but it's his second. Why? Because it expresses the love that the world actually desires. If man had his way, he said, the plan of redemption would be an endless and bloody conflict. Man had his way. In reality... Salvation was brought, I'm sorry, was bought, not by Jesus' fist, but by his nail-pierced hands. Not by muscle, but by love. Not by vengeance, but by forgiveness. Not by force, but by sacrifice. Jesus Christ, our Lord, surrendered in order that he might win. He destroyed his enemies by dying for them, and conquered death by allowing death to conquer him. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't know a man or a woman that's greater than that. And when I talk about him, I talk about him with a smile on my face. You understand? I'm not angry. I'm not throwing the Bible at anybody. I'm sharing the good news of great joy that's for all the people. And when I talk about him, I talk about him like this. And when people's eyes are open to this, then you know what? Many are happy to turn. I know I was. Always remember that the man who's preaching to you today did not grow up in the church. But I had some people like the shepherds proclaiming the good news of great joy. That was not just for everybody who grew up in it, but for people who were far off like me. The shepherds were the outcasts of society during the time. And you know where the angel went? Straight to them to share the good news of great joy that would be for all the people. And after the shepherds came back proclaiming what Jesus said would happen and what was done, then it marked them for the rest of their days. They were the people who, when they looked at them, they were like, hey, aren't those the shepherds that talked about this Jesus and this immaculate conception and this baby being born in a stall? Yes, that's them. But you know what? It's good news for you too. So in this Advent season, our ambition is this, to understand that he came already, but he's coming again. And because he's coming again, we want to live ready. Let's take great confidence in the fact that the second coming of Christ will be just as the first was, as he said it would be. Therefore, we can come to the cross, wherever you are, in repentance and faith, that you might live a life 
pleasing to him. You can receive the great joy of his salvation. That's for all people. And in doing so, let's worship Jesus, the risen king, and let its worship be upon our lips and mark our lives from this point forward in his mighty name. Amen.